But it becomes a ramble, dear listener, about all things 1990s. So sit back and enjoy and have a bit of a reminisce with us. I had a thought, dear listener, that we might talk about grunge, the style of music that seemingly emanated from Seattle in the late 80s, early 90s. Some of us thought we should expand it to music in the 90s. And I'm good with that too. So, Captain, Sid, what do you think? Let's start off. I think starting with grunge is the perfect way to start the 90s. Dear listener, you may notice that Sid's had a sexy makeover over the (laughs) summer and he is now speaking in his sexy husky voice. Let's go grunge. I love it. So grunge, like punk and all the different names of, of things, you know, what does it actually define and what do you think it represents? And, you know, is it a feeling? Is it a music? Is it clothing? Mm. The lifestyle? Well, you know what, Captain? I thought about the topic and I haven't given the topic another jot of thought since. So I haven't got a formal definition. I haven't done any research. I'm just thinking, oh, that sounds like a nice topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you you know, if you want to overview, dear listener, you can go back and listen to our 27 Club Kurt Cobain episode because we spoke a lot about grunge and, you know, the different music styles and that. And so that's where I thought maybe we'll just extend it out a little bit to 90s to be able to in, encapsulate a, a bit more music that was going on. But certainly grunge was a big part of the 90s. Mm. And, you know, depending which side of the fence you sat on, you know, was it everything to you or nothing at all? We have some members of the podcast where it means absolutely nothing to some people. And you'll notice that they're here today, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> but then we have, you know, 90s boy bands, which were equally as huge. And we all know their songs because they're played on Smooth FM every five seconds. Then I was also listening this morning to some Australian 90s stuff and I was listening to Vicar and Linda Bull and the Black mm. Sorrows and then I started thinking about Died Pretty and Hunters and Collectors oh. and how they sort of, you know, came out of the 80s but really had their time, if you will, in the 90s. And I love all of that stuff mm. as well. Australian 90s music, you had a lot of alternative music but then you also just sort of had, I don't know, you did describe it as rock and roll or just general really good music maybe it doesn't fit into a particular category i love the wetlands Mm, see i don't no yes no but that's a whole other podcast Mm. but you know that's the example like you know are they alternative because they did actually they went mm. extremely mainstream once it was just tim left but i'm thinking of their early stuff i love it Mm. the early stuff when you can feel newtown in them yes Yes. And some and of the direct of course, references too. Yeah. 
Very direct. Something about a Lansdowne Hotel comes to mind straight away. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Britpop as well. Like mm. you can't forget take, take Oasis that. and Blur and yes. the we there and all the huge bands that came out during Britpop. So that was a huge part of the 90s. And I well. do love that too. I love Britpop. Yes. Britpop's love great. Jarvis Cocker. I stumbled across on YouTube recordings of Letters Live where celebrities read out letters that have been sent some are very old some are newer some are more recent on all different topics and Jarvis Cocker was one of the celebrities who was reading and oh my goodness he just has become he looks now like a middle-aged academic and I'm sure he's got patches on his elbows of his coat if I had looked yeah, but well, he's got the best voice Pulp had been around for a long time mm. before. They were around in sort of, you know, mid to late 80s. So by the time Britpop came around and Pulp sort of had, you know, become mainstream, if you will, they were quite old by comparison. You know, they weren't mm. 22 like yeah. all the others. And, um, yeah, I love Pulp. Yeah, Common People. It's just the best song. And it reflects what was going on in Britain at the time. Yeah, well, of course, you look at the the soundtrack to Trainspotting. Oh, yes. And, you know, and the movie Trainspotting, like, did that sort of really kickstart, you know, Britpop is Britpop music? Is it the whole thing of, Mm. you know, like we were describing, what is grunge? Is it it Mm. this? Is it that? Is it just the music? So it's, um, you know, it's very cultural and so spreads across everything. Yeah. Yeah, I can see some parallels between grunge and punk from an attitude point of view and I think uh, the first thing was that they were both reactions and I, yeah, think absolutely. <clears throat> I remember it being said at the time that grunge was America finally understanding punk in terms of Who punk came at, oh I don't know uh, this That's is 30 rubbish. years ago but <sighs> I got it. There was an economic downturn in the early 90s. It was hard for people to survive. There were job turndowns, you know, fewer jobs around and industries were changing. Punk happened in the 70s when there was big economic downturn in the Mm. 70s as well and early 80s as well when Thatcher's Britain started. There were coal strikes and all sorts of things happening. America, they had the Ramones. So, no, wipe that. (laughs) (laughs) Wipe that. When you look at the poster boys of both, where you look at uh, Sex Pistols, Sex Pistols very famously had some, like, very anti-Pink Floyd-like shirts, just looking at the music industry at the time, when you're looking at what some of the stuff that Pink Floyd did, and their reaction to it is, why do you need to be accomplished musicians? Musicians, you know, music is for the people. Why can't you get some mates together and have a lot of fun? So it was like a reaction to that. But I think you're also right about like the background as well. Like maybe they could not learn music in their instruments properly because of the poor economic times as well. I think the reaction that happened in America was to those big kind of hard rock kind of glam type bands where they had video clips with girls and cars and, you know, all that kind of thing. I think with grunge looked at it and thought, this is completely inauthentic. We want music where people can actually enjoy themselves. It's very guttural. We're not going to have all these fancy film clips with, you know, women and fancy cars. It's just us out there having a go. So I think that was also part of the reaction, not just the economic reaction. 
I think the other thing that I've read in regard to that whole kind of northwest area of America that a lot of people were complaining about when bands would do their American tours, of course they go to the big places like, you know, Chicago, New York, that kind of thing. But they'd often ignore that northwest corner. And and in the end, places like in Seattle where they say that grunge emanated from, they said, stuff this, we'll do our own. You know, that they're ignoring us. And there seemed to be a constant theme. Well, they'll do some of the big cities in California, but not go further north in the coast. We can expect the Hobart sound very soon then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, Um, maybe the Darwin sound. That came out because once they did sign their record contracts, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam were notorious for it. Mm -hmm. You know, Pearl Jam's second album, Versus, they didn't actually release any videos or mm. anything. And then, and this was also at a time of like, is it Napster? You know, yeah. the digital recording and remember the whole Metallica thing and, That's you know, right. ticket prices were being out of control. And so, you know, I suppose that that's where it becomes like a, a political thing or whatever in that they rejected the music industry. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but just to give us a definition of grunge. I've gone to the Bible, of course, which is Wikipedia, and they've said grunge, sometimes referred to as the Seattle sound, is an alternative rock genre and subculture that emerged during the mid-80s in the American Pacific Northwest state of Washington, particularly in Seattle and nearby towns. Grunge fuses elements of punk rock and heavy metal, but without punk's structure and speed. The genre features distorted electric guitar sound used in both genres, although some bands performed with more emphasis on one or the other. Um, Grunge also incorporates influences from indie rock bands such as Sonic Youth. Lyrics are typically angst-filled and introspective, often addressing Mm. themes such as social alienation, self-doubt, abuse, neglect, betrayal, social and emotional isolation, addiction and psychological trauma, and a desire for freedom. Happy times. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with that. It's not a bad definition. Probably the only difference that I would say with grunge is uh, some bands that represent grunge would put some melody in their music as well, which probably differed from punk. Think about this one, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Now also picture this, More Than a Feeling Boston. Similar... How do you get from Nirvana to Boston? Think about it. Think about the two tunes. They're actually very similar. Yeah. 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 Slightly different tempo, but they're very similar. No, yeah. well... Dave Grohl has said that the Fooies sometimes warm up or they were warming up to Rick Astley, Never Gonna Give You Up, because it's very similar in chord progression and tuned to Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'll have um, to give that a listen to. I've never thought to of the, that. To the point where Rick Astley was actually at a Fooies concert in Britain somewhere. It's on YouTube. And they found mm-hmm. out that Rick Astley was there and they pulled him up on stage and he sang Never Gonna Give You Up, played by the Fooies, as more a rock song. And it's great. Rick Astley just rolled Oh, I'm going to have to see that. It's fantastic. Well, look, a good song is a good song. Yeah. When it came to the grunge scene, I was probably definitely a late adapter to it. I was certainly aware of, like, albums that came out all around the same time. So when you look at, like, the big album, like, Smells Like, sorry, pardon me, Never Mind, and that came out the same time as Blood Sugar Sex Magic. I think it came out the same time as one of the Pearl Jam albums. 
when you're talking about the early 90s, there's probably four or five big albums that I've ignored around that time, but it was a very big era. And initially when I heard like the whole Nirvana album, I had to give it another listen because it was different. And I remember thinking, I need to give it another listen. I just haven't quite come across something like this. And then after a little while, you realise it's the kind of music you just enjoy, you don't analyse, you just feel it. That's how it works. Kurt Cobain has sometimes even said that some of his famous songs, the meanings of the words, there there is none. He just put things together as a collage. Yeah. It's, it's almost... It's very John, John Lennon-esque, isn't it? Yeah, well, very it's, much. It's like um, David Bowie. He used to think up lines and sentences of things and he used to actually chop them up with um, scissors and play 52 pickup on the floor with them and that would become a song. Yeah. But then, you know, the 90s to me was also like the height of all the rock journalists and Rolling Stone and who was on the cover of the Rolling Stone and like MTV and, every, you know, all the other things. And everyone wanted to know, tell me everything about that song and, you know, do these lyrics represent your childhood? And it's like, no. Yeah. like they, no, Just having fun. <laughs> yeah, like we made them up. And sure, some of them do and on reflection, but everyone was trying to analyse everything and it just it became this immense bubble that eventually burst. Mm. And I think that's where potentially, you know, it burst after the well, grunge, after the death of Kurt Cobain. So if you refer back to our episode of The 27 Club, mm-hmm. like it just, it's, it's almost a tragedy. And you think about the subsequent death of everyone else, Chris Cornell, you know, only a couple of years ago, was dealing yeah. with, you know, trauma and addiction and all of them had some sort of trauma addiction, as do most people. Yeah. And so did it just, you know, did it cause it? Was it cause and effect? Who knows? Also the guy who was the lead singer of um, Blind Melon, he also died at, 29. at, at 28 or 29. They, died of oh, they, sorry, all, they all died of heroin overdoses. Mm. Yep. Kate Staley, the lead singer of Alice in Chains. Well-known um, addiction problem. Stone Temple Pilots. What's his name? Scott Wheeland. Yeah, Scott Wheeland. You know, Pearl Jam came out of the, after the death of Andrew Wood, who was the lead singer of a band called Mother Love Bone. Mm. And that's where Temple of the Dog got together, who was sort of a hybrid of leftover Mother Love Bone and Chris Cornell sort of Soundgarden, they came together and Pearl Jam came from that. They obviously needed a lead singer, so they found Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder's potentially, apart from the other band members, the only sort of one that's singers that's left. We've got to hold on to the Pearl Jam brand. What about yeah. Perry, Perry Farrell? Oh, Perry Farrell. See, that's different. See, Alice, um, what are they called? James, James Addiction. Addiction. Well, yeah, they're not, they're not well, Seattle. No, they're not Seattle. And they were around a long time before. They sort of came out all of out of the sort of LA punk mm. scene, alternative mm. scene, that, that same yeah. as the Red Hot Chili Peppers scene. Yeah. Very sort of different subculture. Um, I just I just love how Perry Farrell looks like a mid sixties businessman now. I know. I'm gonna see him <laughs> next week. Oh, are you? Fantastic. Yeah. I'm gonna see the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, Jane that's Stitcher. sold out. And yeah. Amel and the Sniffers next Wednesday night in Sydney. Oh, <laughs> tremendous. You couldn't make up a name like Amel and the Sniffers, could you? Such a unique name. <laughs> Depends what circles. But yeah, it's a great name. 
That's a great name. Yeah, yeah, they're more the LA scene, but it was they're of the same time. Yeah, uh, see, another one which is more from the LA scene is, or the California scene, well, I mean, apart from the Chili Peppers, is mm. um, Presidents of the USA. Yeah. Oh, they were fun. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they just played for fun, and it was great. You've got bands like Primus. Mm. You know, they, they, was, they were great, and they were, you know, they'd been around forever, but then it was just the fusion of having these quirky little songs and these incredible um, film clips as mm. well. You know, and we all just watch the film clips. I mean, Jane's Addiction, I'm sure everyone comes to mind of being caught stealing. Yeah. You know, that oh, film yeah. Just like, what? Yeah. I think probably one of the biggest differences and why we hold on to the grunge era, the grunge movement was probably one of the last significant movements where bands actually uh, cut their teeth in pubs and clubs before they actually made it big. And it had that kind of sense of like they started from the very bottom, build themselves up, and now have a look at them now. And it was that kind of year at the time where I can remember there's one or two exceptions afterwards. But that kind of firstly, that kind of era changed. Another thing that actually changed too as we go through the 90s is that, yeah, in the early 90s kind of thing, people still buying, you know, CDs of the music or other types of devices. You still go to record shops. So the promotion of it through, like, the media and television was still there. However, by the end of the 90s, there was a different way that was starting to consume music, where it was becoming a lot more on the internet. And from that, too, like, musical journalists started to lose their power as well. I think a lot of artists were starting to realise that they could become famous by the internet. And you're starting to see that happen, where some bands were tending to be, like, manufactured so what grunge is is sometimes like an end of an era with I admit one or two exceptions, like I do know a band like Oasis did start in the pub and club scene and they became big a little bit after, you know, Nirvana. But it's just kind of like who comes through, who gets through to mainstream now? Yeah, they just don't seem to have those pub and club roots like they used to before. It's very much changed. And uh, the role of like uh, the media reporting it, like some of those magazines and things like that that used to be so influential some of them don't even exist now it's a a real kind of end of an era at that stage you know Nirvana coming out almost having like Beatlemania type of effect how they have on like some crowds and it's hard to really think you know a band that actually started with pubs and clubs having that same impact now you know, or something in the last 20 years, they're usually manufactured or put together by Simon Cowell or somebody else like that. Yeah, and yeah. also... It was so a changing hard. of the guard, yeah. It's so hard to find venues now where rock music is allowed. Any sort of yeah. performance is allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you can just walk down the main street of Newtown on a Sunday afternoon anymore and see something happening at the Sando. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, but look, there are still bands that play. They're not sort of... Massive bands, but, the, you know, they're really trying to bring it back. Like, there are bands that play in pubs. Like, the Duke has bands all the time. That's on Emma Road. You know, there are bands around that they're getting there. There's few little sort of offshoot venues that are not necessarily pubs and clubs. They're just almost like spaces. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a great Sydney band that I love, and they're called Coffin. Children of Finland fighting in Norway. Oh, that's and great. They're amazing. Yeah, they're from the northern beaches and they're this great, like, 
punk rock and roll band. I'm obsessed with them. I'll have to look them up. Yeah, love it. Amazing. And they they actually have been touring Europe and Britain and everything with Amel and the Sniffers. But they're incredible. I actually like them more than Amel and the Sniffers. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to look them up. I've not heard of them. Yeah, amazing. So if they're coming from the Northern Beaches, are they wearing their mandatory Navy striped T-shirts? No. <laughs> I, I think it's actually, we've got to give them credit. They actually travelled outside of the Northern Beaches. True. Yes. We've got yeah. to give them credit for that. See, but then there's another amazing band from the Northern Beaches called Ocean Alley. Have you heard of them? I have to admit, no. I'm completely obsessed with them. They're sort of like a, a reggae, you know, rock band. Incredible. They, they travel the world. I love Ocean Alley. But you probably couldn't see them here, even though they probably did start playing somewhere here. You know, you all have to start somewhere. They just travel the world and do festivals. And, you know, they're probably playing at Coachella this weekend. Like, good on them. Band. And there's about, there's probably like seven of them in the band. Like, it's full, you know, keyboard, piano, and then all the different guitars. And, yeah, amazing band. After Kurt Cobain passed away and then we're starting to talk about other big bands in the 90s, uh, for me, I think a few bands that stand out in my memory, um, Stone Temple Pilots, Faith No More. Uh, I mm. saw Faith No More twice. I really like seeing them live. I missed out on Stone Temple Pilots, which is a bit of a shame. I remember Bush as well. I used to really enjoy them, another big 90s band. And Cake. Oh, <laughs> Cake, you know? of course. And Cake, I just love their take on music. That was brilliant. But, I mean, that's just the list that's coming from on top of my head. Like, after that era, who were some of the big 90s bands that you guys remember? Well, I saw Hunters and Collectors a few times. The Whitlams, saw them. Mm-hmm. Who else did I see? Can't remember who else I saw back in the day. Cure. Love the Cure. Can't think who else. I didn't didn't go as often because that's when I was studying and stuff and, you know. But were there big standout bands that you remember from there? Because some of the ones you mentioned, you know, started in the 80s as well, but you remember yeah, the ones who yeah. really made it big in the 90s? No. Oh, apart from the Whitlams. And mm-hmm. then once the blow up the pokies thing came out, it was like, they lost me then. Funny, I actually Oh, Eternal oh, Light, album. Nightcap, they lost me on that one. Oh, and um, Dave Graney, of course. Yes. Oh, he's getting back together and touring with the Coral Snakes. Oh, sweet. Let's go. Yeah, go to that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I saw them at the Three Weeds at Roselle and, oh, it was great. Mm. The one screen band I remember was the Cruel Sea. Oh, I love the Cruel Sea. Yeah. Never saw them live, but, oh, Tex. I kind of saw them live and I say kind of because um, Tex was hopelessly drunk and he'd come on and do a song. And then they take him off stage and <laughs> do a musical bit. And then they try to drag him back out to see if he was sober enough to put something together. And he slurred his words for about a, a couple of verses. And the band was just saying, it's not working. <laughs> so I saw them do basically an instrumental gig. Well, that's all right. That's equally as good. It was, see, but I mean, you know, another... everyone was thinking the whole ensemble and I didn't really see it. Another band of the 90s, which were huge were Radiohead. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, but do they, they're not Britpop, you know, they're, they're, they're British, not British, but not Britpop, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, but they were the Pink Floyd of the time, you know, they were just so, like, complex and like, what? 
Yeah. In- Are they classifiable? No. No. You know, people who have covered their songs, just beautiful. Well, you see, sometimes when you listen to a cover, you really appreciate the writing and the lyrics of a song more. And, yeah, I must say Postmodern Jukebox has helped me with that one a lot because they really, in playing songs in different genres, you really get you get to hear the lyrics especially. It's just tremendous. Mm. You just don't realise how complex some songs are sometimes. And then, another, you know, another band was Green Day. Green Day, of course. Mm. You know, but like they're not grunge. They're not, you know, are they left over that punk? Are they that LA sort of punky? Like, well, they're out of California in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. They started, you know, little baby emos. You know, that's where everyone was dyeing their head green. (laughs) I I don't know why this, you said that band and it just reminded me of Blink 182. Yes. All you know, the small things is just such yeah, a great clip. Huge I love band, it. Huge um, band that I absolutely despise. But see, I like <laughs> my favourite Blink. My favourite Blink One Eight Two is um, "I Miss You." No, that is yeah. a great song. I love that. No, let's just delete this whole section and move on. So, <laughs> but then, but then you start. Are you editing, Captain? Sorry. Are you going to be doing the edit, Captain? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) But then you have song uh, songs. Then you have bands, you know, like Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, never liked them. I found them a little bit too much. You know, like but but they're sort of starting to have. You know, they've got as much angst and whatever Mm. as as grunge. But that you know, they start they spoke sung about political things. You know, so where did they fit? So this is where I think 90s just enabled bands to sort of almost do whatever you wanted. But then there's always been bands of every different type of music music genre throughout. It's just what you like and what you gravitate to. Yeah. Blink-102. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I can't stand Rage Against the Machine. Can't stand them. But I don't mind quite a lot of Blink-182. I read Travis Barker's biography. Mm-hmm. He's, he's oh, come on, you've got to say something. <laughs> he's an interesting bloke. My sister had the book, so I borrowed it off her. He He's driven and he's obsessive with stuff, that which got him into drugs and things. But since he's cleaned up and he had to do it because he was going to be very ill or dead very quickly and he mm. wanted to be there for his kids, like he manages, co-manages a clothing line as well that's worth multi-millions of dollars and and. Yeah, he, he's an interesting bloke. And the when he married into the Kardashians, that wasn't quite the surprise that the media made it out to be because before the Kardashians were famous, they were next-door neighbours for quite a while. And so he knew them the, as people. I think it's just the optics. When you look at the two of them together, they couldn't be more chalk and cheese. Yeah. If you don't know their background, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just love how he's sort of inked in a hairline around his um, <laughs> forehead now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that goes to show have, when you got that much money, you don't care. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, tons of money. See, and then you have bands like Tool. Oh, you know, I've forgotten about them. Corn, those sort of new metal bands. Yeah, but that that they were all huge, and that you know, I hate the term new metal because mm. it's not. I don't see it as metal. It was just a loud, you know, electronic Ministry. Ministry, mm. incredible band. 
So you've got this real mismatch of, of bands. Then where where would you put Beck? Mm, loved him. You know? Yeah. Then you think British bands that aren't Britpop, like Massive Attack mm-hmm. and um, Portishead. Like, you know, they're not Britpop. They were totally different sort of band. Yeah. I, I, I must say I moved on from Massive Attack and Porter's Head when a friend of mine committed suicide and she was heavily into them and I just can't listen yeah. to them anymore. The one with mm. um, Courtney Taylor Taylor or Courtney Courtney Taylor Taylor, the band. What? what are they called? Lost me there. No, stay with me. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you know, within that new metal stuff, you've, you know, if it, once again, I hate that term, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Like where where do you put those? Because they were yeah groundbreaking. Because they're you know their stage shows, they sung about topics that were like risque. You know they had incredible in your face videos. Mm. Like, yeah, da- the band I was thinking of, the Dandy Warhols with Courtney Taylor hyphen uh, Taylor. Uh, they're right. not British. Are, Are they, they from Chicago? Oh sure, I thought they were British. No, they're no, American. You're right. They're American. I was wrong. I'm just looking. Yeah. Are they from yeah. Chicago? Yeah, but they're another band yeah. I just can't do because of yeah, said they're friend. From the British side of Chicago. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of part one, dear listener, of our 90s ramble. Stay tuned for our next episode where we conclude our chat. Until then, take care.